Hey, good morning, Veritas Church. It's good to be with you this week after Easter Resurrection Weekend. Um, and I say it that way because that's that's part of what I want to, to talk about together this morning. Um, I had a little bit of a weird experience last weekend, and, and maybe it will be reflective in some of your lives as well. Um, man, I woke up Easter morning, and it was just incredible, right? I mean, I think a lot of us had prepared for the cold and rainy, stormy weather that was supposed to uh, hit us. And instead, I woke up last Sunday morning, and man, the sky was beautiful. And I actually put some pretty cool worship music into my ears and went out for a long walk and just after a while took the worship music out and just listened to the birds and the trees and it, it was just an incredible Easter morning. I loved the gathering together. I loved the the foyer time <clears throat> afterward that, that Mark had and even welcoming in Grayson from Wuhan, China into the foyer. Um, there were just so many awesome things about last uh, Sunday morning, last Easter resurrection morning. And then as the day went on, Man, I gotta just admit to you guys, um, this kind of melancholy came over me. And even though the weather stayed nice for a good part of the day and all that stuff, I found myself just kind of getting put out all over again and kind of life back in the new normal that we're supposed to be experiencing here just kind of started hanging over me it, like a dark cloud. And I don't know, I, I felt like real life set in way too quickly. And uh, I, I was just trying to figure out what what's wrong with me kind of thing. So that got me to thinking about what is life after celebrating resurrection supposed to be like, right? And as I reflected on that, I, I actually went back into the Gospel of John to see what life after resurrection was like in the Gospel of John. It's a, it's a pretty unique ending to, uh, to, to the Gospels. So John chapter 20 is the text that, that we use. Rebecca had read it to us, and we, we spent some time dwelling on John chapter 20. Um, but there's kind of a not really to be expected couple of scenes that happen after that. Okay, so that's what I want us to reflect on this morning. So at the end of John chapter 20, um, here's the story that happens after that epic moment at the empty tomb moment with Mary and so forth. Here's what happened. It says, when it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. And Jesus came and just suddenly was standing among them and said to them, peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Okay, so this is the kind of epic, kind of great commission moment that we would expect to happen after the resurrection. When Jesus comes back to his disciples, like, like certainly he's, he's bringing them peace, but there's also this impulse to go. You are now the sent ones, right? And giving them that, that taste of the Holy Spirit to say, man, this gospel that you are going to proclaim has so much power. You will be able to see people freed from their sins 
or in their rejection of you, be sealed into their condemnation of sin. Like, this is epic. This is powerful. They are being sent out with this, this colossal message of, of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. Right after that, we've got the the scene where doubting Thomas, you know, kind of goes at it a little bit. But I want to skip that part for a moment and go back to the end of John chapter 20, then where John can seemingly concludes his book. He says, you know, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Again, a perfect ending to the book, like throw the pen down, drop the mic moment for the gospel writer, right? So, so John is just saying, I wrote everything that I wrote so that you would be believe and that as you believe in this risen Christ, you would find life. And that's the message that you're to be going with and sent out with and so forth, right? So you would have thought that would be it. End of, end of story. But no, he keeps going. He doesn't drop the, the quill. <laughs> he keeps going. And, and I want you to see what happens next. John 21. Here's what it says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were, were together. I'm going fishing. Simon Peter said to them, we're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Um, okay, can you imagine anything more anticlimactic than what is going on here? <laughs> I mean, these seven disciples have just experienced following Jesus for a couple of years, seeing the unbelievable miracles, hearing the truth come into their own ears firsthand. They have stood witness at the at the betrayal, the beating, the the crucifixion of Jesus. They've witnessed the tomb that he was sealed in, and then the busting out of that tomb, alive, resurrected Jesus Christ. They have come off all of that, even had him appear to them to show that he was truly resurrected. And as a result of that, uh, I'm going fishing. Mm, yeah, me too. Let's go fishing. It, I just, I can't imagine a more anticlimactic response to everything that has gone on. So, so it just keeps going from there. So I want to keep reading now, uh, John 21, starting in, in verse four. So when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Okay. So what would you have done if you were Jesus and came upon that scene? <laughs> keep that kind of tucked in the back of your mind. Here's, here's Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him for he'd taken that off and he plunged into the sea since they were not far off from land, about a hundred yards away. The other disciples came in the boat, you know, dragging the net without Peter's help, uh, full of fish. Um, when they got out on the land, they, they saw charcoal fire there 
with fish lying on it and bread. So bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed back up, you know, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, I asked you as, as we began to read that section, what would have been your response if you were Jesus that had come upon this scene of his disciples? Like, I'm just, okay, I'm just gonna imagine for you what I would have thought. I, I think if I were Jesus, I, I think I would have stood on the shore and said, hey boys, I'm sorry, uh, did, I, did I mention that of all the humans on the planet, I chose you to be the ones that would, you know, follow me and then go and tell everybody about what I've done for them. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, did you happen to notice what I just went through in order to save your sorry keisters? I mean, I bled, I died, and I rose again for you to transform you so that you would go to the ends of the earth, right? Um, I think if I were Jesus in that moment, I kind of would have lost it and maybe whipped up a storm, right? Like he knows how to do that on lakes, right? So before they got to shore, I think I maybe would have whipped up a storm, maybe let a couple little lightning bolts get a little too close. I don't know, man. I just, I just think, what would I have done had I been Jesus? Um, thankfully for the whole world, I'm not Jesus. What did Jesus do? Um, well, rather than have a massive fish jump up out of the lake and swallow them whole, another trick he has up his sleeve, if you don't believe me, read the book of Jonah. Um, he doesn't do that, doesn't do any of the stuff like that. Uh, he miraculously fills their nets with fish. Rather than rebuking them and correcting them for being out fishing, um, they're frustrated. I don't know if you've ever been out fishing and have not caught anything, especially if you're pulling an all-nighter trying to fish and you catch nothing. Uh, he he actually fills their nets with fish. And then I love verse 12. Hey, come and have breakfast. He, he cooks them breakfast. He serves them breakfast. They're hungry. They're tired. How cool to step out on shore and already there's the crackling fire. There's the food already prepared. Um, look, I don't claim to have any inside track um, on Jesus' motives, right? I try really hard not to try to read between the lines with the Bible, right? But at the very least, okay, Jesus is showing us that um, loving, serving, um, taking care of your friends is actually at the heart of the commission as he sends us into the world. Like John chapter 20 still stands. He is commissioning them, sending them out with this message, calling people to repent, to believe and finding life in Jesus. But I think this next chapter is to say something really important that part and parcel of being sent, of going with the message of Jesus is to act like Jesus. And the way that Jesus acts in this moment is to love his friends, is to build a friendship and a loyalty into his into his followers that are now being sent. Um, 
Jesus does not start treating Peter, James, and John as if they are simply like soldiers being sent out, uh, like deployed, right? Now, in some ways they are soldiers, right? The apostle Paul picks up that imagery in some of his writings. They, they are being deployed in a sense, but in this moment, I'm trying to say in this moment, he doesn't treat them just as commodities, as employees, as just soldiers being deployed out to get a job done. They're his friends and he treats them as, as dear friends. Guys, that helps me as I think about life after resurrection. That helps me a lot. I, I know that Jesus absolutely expected Peter, James, John, and the others to go into the world and to accomplish the mission, right? That in, in believing people would have life in his name, that he would call them to repent and to believe. And um, that's, that's gonna happen. But he also wanted them to know that they were to care deeply for the people that were going to follow Jesus. They, they were to actually love the way that Jesus loved along the way. And his, his nearness to them, I will be with you always, his nearness to them was not going to be like some kind of hawking boss, you know, making sure that they got everything done and didn't slough off on the job. You know, what are you out doing fishing? You know, nope. He was going to come to them as friends, which reminded me a lot of what he had taught them earlier, actually back in John 15. So I hope you have your Bible with you this morning. I want you to look at John 15, where he says this, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He's talking to the same disciples, okay? He's rallied back in chapter 15, his disciples, and he's saying to them, man, I want your joy to be complete. And then he says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. This is my command to you, not duty, go. No, love in the way that I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. To lay down his life for his friends. Check this out, lean into this. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, will he will give you. Like that same sense of commission and being sent out is right here in this passage as well. Like it, it is at the heart of being sent is this idea that he ends with, verse 17, this is what I command you, love one another. And I'm going to show you what loving one another looks like. And, and following me and being sent out by me, at the heart of that, at the core of that is going to be friendship, love. Guys, Jesus died and rose again to bring you forgiveness. He died and rose again to bring you adoption into his family. He died and rose again to commission you to take his gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. No question, that is absolutely true. But never forget that Jesus said this, no one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are his friend. J Jesus is calling us friends. And the big point of John 15, and then reiterated, I think, for us in John 21, is that we are to love one another 
in the same way that he has now expressed his love toward us. He says it twice in John 15 and demonstrates it now post-resurrection in John 21. We are to love in that same way. Um, nothing about the ways of Jesus gets, puts on the, gets put on the shelf now that the resurrection has happened and it's time to be deployed. Nope. That is how we will reach the world is by tapping into John 15, loving our friends the way that Jesus loved his friends. Now, I want you to think about the ramifications of this for a moment, okay? What if deep, sincere friendship is actually at the core of the Jesus mission? <laughs> what if Veritas Church, if we really get it right, is to be commissioned into Iowa City and the surrounding areas and every church that, that we would start from, from here, that at the core of it would be deep, sincere friendship. What if John 21 is not some weirdly placed epilogue after the true finale? No, no, no. What if it is actually part of the Great Commission? What if Jesus intended to teach us something imperative for reaching the world? What if friendship with Jesus and therefore friendship with each other is actually at the core of the gospel and being sent? Isn't that freeing? I mean, isn't that, it's so motivating to me, which is why the next scene that I want to end with, I think um, also is just huge for my soul. And I hope it will be huge for your soul because the breakfast scene is still going on. I'm jumping back into John 21. And, and here's, here's what Jesus does. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. He told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you would tie yourself, you know, a belt and you'd walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, You'll stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry, your, carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. What do you think was going on in Peter's mind just before this dialogue with Jesus? Okay, so I want to take you back just a moment before Jesus started addressing Peter directly. There they are around the fire, you know, the crackling of the fire, the smell of the, the sizzling fish, all that. But I wonder if the, the quiet was uh, almost deafening to Peter. I wonder if Jesus was actually perceiving exactly what was going on in Peter's mind as he sat nervously by that fire around breakfast. I wonder if Jesus knew what Peter was thinking, like, man, is Jesus getting ready to just throttle me for denying him those three times? I mean, he hasn't even brought it up yet. I wonder if this is the moment and I'm just cringing, just 
he he's so disappointed in me man i wonder if jesus is so ticked off that after telling us that we're being sent breathing on us the holy spirit he caught me fishing and i pulled these other dudes into it i wonder if he's just so frustrated with me right now i wonder if jesus is just kind of buttering me up right now just to body slam me and Nope. No, Jesus is actually giving Peter the opportunity to erase all that guilt, erase all that shame by allowing him to master the restart. He's going to allow Peter to erase all three of those denials by giving him opportunity to look into Jesus' eyes and say, I love you. I think Jesus is saying, Peter, you blew it, you know? We all get that. But Peter, you're beating yourself up over that way more than I'm beating you up over that. In fact, Peter, you're going to blow it again. We're going to have to have breakfast again, man. <laughs> this is not the last time that you're going to blow it and start feeling guilty. Man, you probably should. <laughs> you will blow it pretty badly. But then I'm going to cook you breakfast. And I'm going to remind you, you're still my friend. I still believe in you more than you believe in yourself right now. And I did choose you out of all the peoples on this earth to go and take this message. Because Peter, you know what? You're not going to be known for how you denied me. You're going to be known, Peter, for how you loved me. You're not going to be known for how courageously you cut Malchus's ear off in the garden. Man, you shouldn't have done that. But you're not going to be known for that nearly as much. I mean, we're going to remember, but you're not going to be known for that. That's not going to be the mark of your life. The mark of your life is going to be how much you loved my people, how you fed my people, how you shepherded my people. You will do that well, Peter, and that's what's going to mark your life. You're not going to be known for how you decided to go fishing after I commissioned you. You're going to be known for how you followed me all the way to your own crucifixion. That's what you're going to be known for, Peter. Jesus ends his little conversation with Peter with the same words that he used in the very beginning of the Gospel of John in his first encounter with Peter. Follow me. Follow me. Guys, Jesus post-resurrection is calling us to follow him. And he sees how we can go from a euphoric resurrection Easter morning to being kind of bummed out and um, useless. <laughs> and in those moments, I don't look up and see Jesus just so put out with me. I see him kind of smiling and saying, yeah, you are weak. Yeah, I chose you even in your weakness and I love you. You're my friend and I'm loyal to you and I'm never leaving you and I'm never forsaking you. And I think he wants us to say, yeah, you're not going to be known for your weakness. I want you to be known for your friendship, for your love, your love for Jesus, <laughs> your love for each other because of our friendship and love toward Jesus. So I wonder, Veritas, I wonder if life after Easter, life after resurrection morning, um, is not to be filled with great heroic exploits. I wonder if 
what Jesus is calling Veritas Church to, especially in these dark days, is a marked friendship, a marked loyalty, a marked love for one another, and then for all those that we will take this incredible message of Jesus to. I wonder who this week Jesus would ask you to cook breakfast for. Now, maybe you can't cook breakfast uh, in, in, in this specific day, but you get what I'm saying. Well, who are those people that you could serve, that you could demonstrate friendship to, that you could demonstrate loyalty to, that you could demonstrate love to? And wrapped up in that would be to tell them the incredible story of Jesus Christ, because you're only doing that. You're only that kind of friend because of the kind of friend that Jesus is to you. And what an invitation for life that is truly life that we have. So Veritas Church, let's drink deeply of post-Easter resurrection John 21 and follow Jesus into a life of friendship and love that I'd love to pray for us to that end. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for always kind of blowing the little uh, false idea that we've had in our minds about who you are and the way that you would act. That's usually us projecting that on you, Lord. Thanks for shattering those things and retelling us the story of who you truly are and what your message is really all about. And I pray, Jesus, that not only would we reawaken to these truths, but that they would so rock us and shape us that we would find even this week people would come to know you, Jesus, the real Jesus, because you've so transformed our lives that we become the kind of friends to you and friends to others that would turn this world upside down. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Grace and peace. See you next week.